Wow. Good morning. Welcome and happy Mother's Day again to all the mothers. But we're also really happy to see every single one of you this morning. Um, the last several weeks we've been looking at this story that we just sang about and celebrated again. Uh, how not only did Jesus have the right to be the ultimate authority in heaven and on earth and in, under the earth and everywhere else, but he also earned it. And scripture teaches us that he, by his death and his burial and his resurrection, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he earned the right to be called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one to whom every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've walked through the last several weeks, we've walked through this celebration of this, starting with Palm Sunday and Easter, and, and most amazingly, it, the, the part that still just blows my mind is this. We are part of that story. We are living out Act 3. And as much as we must never disrespect or, or not get just how important those specific stories are, how very important it is that God and His Holy Spirit picked out specific things that we needed in his word that that is just part of his big story that his word is the foundation so that we can live out act three of this story and complete the job that he set up that all the things that they had looked forward to we are the ones who are supposed to be completing what an amazing thought what an amazing honor what a scary responsibility what a thrilling opportunity. Last week we talked about, very briefly, a scene from Lord of the Rings where uh, Frodo and Sam are talking about what it's like to be caught up in a really big story like this. And, and what they said was this, there's so many chances to turn back, almost infinite chances that we all have to turn back. But the stories happen, the great things happen, the accomplishments happen, the real exciting things happen when we don't turn back. Instead, we team up with others who understand how important what we have to do is. We team up with them and we get the job done. So that's where we're at right now. We're walking through a series called Ultimate Authority, Therefore. Uh, really quick, though, I want to show you this diagram. I love this. This comes from a book called... Um, the Servant Driven Church by Ray Fullen Whiter. And in, little by little, we're walking through some of the things this means. But here's, here's the bottom line. I just want to lay this foundation that leadership is about direction. It's not about position. And whenever we start thinking that trying to be a leader or trying to be a really good mom, for example, trying to be a really good dad, what that means is our kids respect us. Our kids think they're, we're awesome, that there's nothing that we could do. They couldn't do anything without us. What would we do without dear old mom? We're missing something because the really great moms prepare their children to live as adults out in the world on the other end of raising them. They look back at them with fondness. They have a relationship that keeps going their whole life, but they, don't, they aren't paralyzed because they're always dependent on that up and down relationships. They've been led somewhere. They've been taken somewhere. And this isn't all on moms, it's just Mother's Day, so I'm just focusing. Does this make sense? And this is, this is how Jesus' idea works when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, we're going to do something. 
And he tells us exactly what he wants us to do. To go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that he commanded. He promises that when we do that, we will, he will be with us. And so here's the questions that we've been asking lately is... Exactly what does that mean to us at Morrison Hill Christian Church right now? Not will we do those things, but exactly how does he want us to do those things right now? As individuals, as families, as small groups, Sunday school classes, life groups, any other small groups we're in as a church and as part of his global church, as his global growing kingdom, what is, we're asking him not, were you serious? Do you really want us to be part of that? We're saying, okay, we get it, we are exactly what do you want us to do next what do you want from us right now so welcome into that conversation most of you have been here this whole time but uh we're, we're, now we're ready to keep going i think we know where we're at here we go god has always had a worldwide vision worldwide vision and here's here's this is so obvious throughout the whole bible in fact the first verse most people learn has it in it it starts out like this for god so loved the world that he gave, right? So we, we know this, we should know this, but so often it's hard to remember. But this idea of reaching all nations is all the way through the scriptures. And all nations, again, means not all the different legal kind of nations, uh, different governments that are set up around the world, but every distinct people group, every group of people that has a culture and a language and is a distinct group of people. And Jesus wants to reach every single one of them he loves every single one of them just as much as he loves us and we have a responsibility to reach every single one of them we see this in the old testament and the new testament in the in jeremiah god is speaking through jeremiah and he's talking to israel and one more time just he does this so many times but he's inviting them back again He's offering, please come back. Please come back to me. And he's talking about a day, what it would look like. If you came back, what would that look like? And so in this passage, we're going to read out loud together. He says, in that day, this is what it would look like. He said, this, what he's talking about is the day that Jerusalem would be restored. That if they would repent and they would come back, that he would restore Jerusalem. Let's, look, let's read this together. In that day, Jerusalem will be known as the throne of the Lord. All nations will come there to honor the Lord. See that worldwide vision? Let's look in the New Testament. In this one, Jesus is not talking about a fictional day, that this is what could happen if you'd come back. He's saying about the last days, what will happen, so that we know what it will look like before he comes back. And in speaking of that, he says this. Again, read with me if you would. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. And as he continues to talk about the signs, he's answering a question in Matthew 24. You should go back and read the entire chapter. By the way, we just don't have time this morning. But Matthew 24, the whole thing, it's good. Anyway, but he goes on and he talks about all of this awesome stuff and he's telling what's going to happen. And he's describing a very clearly worldwide event. There's not going to be any way for people to miss it. 
when Jesus comes back. And he ends this. He's talking in third person. He's saying the son of man, as he often did. And he says this. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. They will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So in this moment when Jesus comes back, people, not only the the dead in Christ will rise, not only them, but also people from, again, all over the earth. This is his vision and always has been. Every single group is important to God. Now, this morning, if you, if you noticed on the cover and stuff, there's, a, there's kind of a possibly confusing uh, title. It's intentional diversity. This is something we believe God is leading us into as a church. This is one of the core directions that we feel like he's just been pushing us and leading us in in several ways. I want to clarify this morning several things that does not mean, because those words could mean a lot of things nowadays. And I also want to clarify some things that we really believe it does mean. And if you can help us come up with a better title for that, that's open too. But we really believe this is a direction God is leading us. And we want to clarify that and, 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 and once again kind of empower all of us together to go that direction this morning. But here we go. In modern American culture, here's the first thing that diversity can mean that we're not referring to. Okay, This is not what this means. In modern American culture, there are several different twisted versions of diversity. And one of those is that none of our differences matter at all. That the solution, the way we could find unity, the way that we could find peace in the world is just to pretend that all of us are the same. Or or find some way to make enough rules and enough whatever else regulations that we end up acting the same and pretending every day that we are the same. That's not what we're asking. That that is not Jesus' dream that we all be the same. He's not asking us to all compromise and everybody just be in this one big lump and nobody does their unique stuff. That's not what we mean by diversity. In fact, noting somebody's differences is strategic. In a moment, we're going to look at some very awesome verses where God uses the concept of motherhood to teach us some stuff about himself. And, and, and to tell mothers in general, this is some things that, that you play. This is part of the role you play. But every single one of you knows that every single mother on this earth is unique. If you know a mom and you say, hey, she's a mother, that's not all she is, is it? So the more you start getting to know the differences between her and other moms is when you start really getting to know her. And to try to make every single mother act exactly the same in every direction of her life, cook the same, raise her kids the same, discipline the same, whatever else, that's a mistake. That's not what we're looking for. So when we say diversity, we're not saying that we want everyone to be the same. In fact, noting the differences is strategic. We're noticing part of who people are. We're acknowledging people as individuals. Does that make sense? All right, so we move on. Here's here's another truth that's part of this. Uh, It's one sentence in your um, bulletin insert if you're following that. But it says, but labeling does more harm than good. Here's what labeling is. Labeling is what I just described where you just say, all I need to know is that you're a man 
Or all I need to know is you're from East Tennessee. All I need to know is you're a woman or a teenager or a child. Or you pick any other, you're a hunter, you're a fisherman. You, you pick any category ever and you say, all I need to know about you is this. And then I know exactly what you think about God and politics and what kind of food you like and don't like. I can predict what kind of car you're going to drive. No, you can't. Are you with me? So it's a mistake. When we say diversity, we're not trying to get everyone to be the same. We're trying to notice what's different. But when we notice what's different, the other mistake we can't make is to say that those differences define you. Those differences are uncontrollable. That is who you are. You have no control. We have no control. And to accept you means we just accept every single weirdness about you as it is. Jesus can't change it. We can't change it. You can't change it. That's a mistake as well. And that is not what we're saying when we're talking about diversity. One more really quick thing. There's a kind of confusing phrase here, but I, I put it there as boldly as I could just to help this work in. It says this. There's no such thing as a blank. And here's what that means. You can put any word there. There's no such thing as a teenager. Of course there are things as a teenager. But if you look at any teenager, believe me, I spent a lot of time working with teenagers in my life. If all you see is a teenager, you're missing 95% of who that individual is. Knowing that they're a teenager, knowing, knowing what grade they're in, knowing if they're male or female, knowing a bunch of things can help you. It's a strategic thing to know, but that is not who they are. And when we just label people and we go, I just don't think I could work with teenagers. That's a huge mistake because teenagers are all different. You with me? Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about mothers. Now, again, they're not all the same, but there's some commonality. There's, some beautiful, there's enough commonality in the worldwide mothering experience and the overwhelming majority of moms that the Bible speaks of mothers as two things. Number one, they are major influences on our lives. And number two, they are examples of God's love. Here, here's some verses where we see this. These are some of many, many examples of each one of these ways that God speaks of mothers. In Psalm 86, 16, the psalmist is praying to God and he says, Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. There's the example thing. In Proverbs 6, 20, um, the, the wise teacher says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching." You see, the mom is not only an example, but someone who's actually teaching, intentionally shaping their child and their values and their ideas. And then in Isaiah 66, 13, this is not the only one of these either, but we see God, again, speaking to his people through a prophet and again speaking about Jerusalem. But this time, you know, that thing he was saying about with Jeremiah, and he said, you know, if you guys would only come back, Jerusalem would be restored and it would be a center of worship for all nations. That didn't happen. In fact, they lost Jerusalem and they got exiled. And in this one, he's, he's, this is a, he's, listen what he says. Let's read this one together. I love this. God is speaking to his people and he says, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. And you know what? There's some dads that are better than their wives at comforting their kids. Nothing wrong with that. There's some of you moms, that's just not your thing. That's okay. That's one of the differences that makes you you. 
But in general, we know enough moms and enough grandmas that we get this, right? We see this. We have a picture of somebody who, whether it's their own fault or no fault of their own, somebody who's suffering and they're these really soft, comforting arms that just wrap them up and hold them for a little bit. We know exactly what that looks like because of how common that image is. And God identifies himself with that. But again, there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Even throughout the scripture, even the great examples, you go all the way back to the beginning and you see Eve. This is the prototype woman. She's exactly how God planned the whole thing. The whole package is, is Eve. And yet, it didn't take very long until she messed up big time. So did Adam. And if you look at her track record as a mom, she had a bunch of kids. We don't know all their stories. But the ones that we do know their stories, at least one of them killed at least one of the others, right? That's not a really good track record for a mom. We can't judge her. We can't say that she, we can't write her off. We can't label her off as a complete failure, right? That's not fair. And we can't say she was a complete success either, right? You know who she was? She was Eve. Another one is Sarah. Sarah in the, in the Old Testament, I actually have a, a picture for this one. I didn't even go there with Eve, so you're welcome. Sarah, Sarah uh, was, uh, was uh, held up as a wonderful um, example throughout the Bible. She's revered. She's referred to. She's listed among heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, Peter holds her up as an example to all believing women when he's talking about that uh, women should prioritize their inward and eternal and true beauty over outward and temporary and subjective and shallow beauty, which is really good advice. And she, that, that's really cool. And yet, this same woman, this same person that we all look back to as the matriarch of faith, and so do the Jews, and uh, she's just a wonderful person. And yet, she literally laughed at God's promises to her. And she was willing to submit to Abraham, not just in the direction of following God, but every time he came up with a lie or told her to do something that was totally immoral. And that's not exactly what God had in mind when he said, submit to your husband. It's a team. It's supposed to be a team. Uh, so again, we're not trying to judge her. We're just saying there's no such thing as a perfect mom. If there was one that's even close, it already got mentioned this morning. That was fantastic. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate you bringing up Mary. You saved me a little bit of time, and I love that. But Mary was a wonderful example. This is the person that God picked out to raise his own child. And she did so many things right. She was not only a, a, a good mom to him and raised him successfully, she was one of three human beings who was so faithful they said they were right there at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. She was one of very few who came to the tomb and found that he had risen before everyone else realized it. She's one of the very few who are named as one of the small group of believers that started the church in Jerusalem that became the prototype church in Acts 2 that became everything that we know today. Just a wonderful person. And yet there are these moments several times throughout the Gospels where she and her other children are attacking Jesus. And they're, they're coming to him, not physically attacking him, but they're saying, hey, you've got to stop doing this. This is crazy. You've got to stop. And people would, it got to the point where people would come to Jesus and say, hey, your mother wants to talk to you. And Jesus would say things like, who is my mother? And things like, you know who my mother is? Is that outside? So, okay. We're going to keep on going. He'd say, you know who my mother is? My mother is anybody who does God's will. 
Whoever actually obeys God and trusts God, that's my mother and my brothers and my sisters. That, that's my family. He's not judging Mary. He's not hating her. He, very obvious, several different places. It shows how much he respected her. On the cross, uh, we, we, on Easter Sunday, we talked about how painful everything he said was. He had to fight for every breath by lifting himself up by those nails. And one of the things that he went to all that extra effort to do was to look down at John and his mother and say, woman, this is going to be your new son. And John, take care of my mom. Obvious respect, obvious, obvious honor to her. And yet... She was not perfect either. Which leads us to the next thing about diversity. And, and this is where I really need you. If you haven't been listening yet, you need to listen. Because this is, this is a little bit confusing, but it's gotta, we've got to get this. This is one of the foundational clear truths that we feel like God is trying to show us right now. And help us do an, a better job than ever at communicating to the world around us. And this is this. Diversity does not mean tolerance of sin. For us to say that Sarah and Mary and other people in the world were not perfect does not mean that it's okay to just settle for however you are at this moment. It does not mean that we can just say, well, any sin that you saw somebody in the Bible doing or somebody that you really love doing is probably okay because nobody's perfect. That is not what diversity means. What diversity means is even people who aren't perfect, which is every human being on this planet, all of us can find Jesus. All of us can make it to the foot of the cross. All of us, despite our, in, our imperfections and our failings, we can all get there. We all need to, and we all can. That's what this means. Uh, when, G, and when Paul writes about several sins and lists them off, and several other apostles, they say, you can't keep doing these things and be part of God's kingdom at the same time. You just can't. You cannot do both at the same time. This is what he writes. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. He's not just talking about forgiveness. He's not just talking about us saying, you know, nobody's perfect. He's talking about transformation. And he's talking about transformation that extends to everyone on this planet. No matter what they struggle with, no matter what they believe that's right or wrong about themselves or about God or about life or anything else, that we all have that chance to come to him and there's hope that we can all find salvation and transformation. Here's the other thing that diversity does not mean. It is not relative truth. In a lot of times, in, in modern our modern culture, when we talk about diversity, what we're trying to say is that all truth is equal, which means none of it's equal. None of it's real, right? Yeah, I love that scene in The Incredibles where Dash is talking to in the car and, and his mom says, everybody's special, Dash. And he goes, which means nobody is. <laughs> right? And Jesus said, there's only one way, one truth, one life, and that's him. He said that the, the way to destruction is broad and many will find that one. But there's a narrow gate and a narrow path on the other side. Very few will find that. And that is what everybody on that big wide path is being invited to. But they have to go through that gate and they have to go down that narrow path. We all have the same right to do that, the same responsibility to help other people do that. But that is what this means. 
Diversity, here's what it really does mean to us. It means seeing the image of God in all people. Underneath all of the brokenness, underneath all the distortion, underneath the failings, underneath the sin, the accidental sin, the on-purpose sin, underneath all of it, we see that we're all human beings, that we're all equal before God underneath all that. We all have the potential to be God's children. We all have the potential to be kingdom builders. Every single person, no matter how, far, how hard they're fighting against God at any given moment in any area of their life, has the potential to repent and to not only be forgiven, but to be transformed. And we as God's people have the responsibility to get that message out to all of them. That's what we mean by intentional diversity. Is this making sense? Praise God. So once again, Jesus gave us some specific categories of people to kind of start with. He said to serve the hungry and the thirsty, the lonely, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. And I believe that he was speaking literally and also metaphorically here. Because people who acknowledge their need are much more likely to respond when someone has something to give them. Donald Miller says, everything that we sell... I'm sorry, yeah, he's talking about business in this context. He said, everything you sell is medicine. And everything you don't sell must not be medicine. Does that make sense? In other words, people only want the stuff that they think is going to help something. And when people are aware of their need, then we, we, have, we can offer them the solution on the other side of that. Not only that, when we serve others, we become more aware of the brokenness inside of ourselves. Our own blindness, our own need for our ongoing transformation in Christ to keep going. And not only that, Jesus himself says that when we serve the hungry and the thirsty and the lonely and the naked, the sick and the imprisoned, we are serving him. Somehow, some way, everything that we do for what we would call the least of these who are actually equal to us before God. Everything we do for what we would call the least of these, we are doing for him. So we offer salvation and transformation to everyone. And that is what diversity means. Diversity means seeing the image of God in all people. And it, diversity means salvation and transformation is available for everyone. So as we start to wrap up this morning, I want to look ahead to heaven and I want to look right now at Morrison Hill where we are right now and we're going to wrap up praying together and thinking together, asking God together what else does he want right now. First, let's look ahead. Let's look ahead to heaven. Heaven is going to be incredible and it's going to be an incredibly diverse place. In Revelation 4 and 5, here's another two-chapter passage I'd like you to go home and marinate in later. And all these scriptures and many more that I've listed this morning are in your insert. That's there to be a Bible study for you, whether you're in a life group or not. Love for you to go back and let God and His Spirit just speak further and deeper in all these areas. But especially Revelation 4 and 5 paints this amazing picture of what heaven looks like. And, and John is, sees God on his throne. He sees all these incredible creatures bowing down to him. The elders bowing down to him, whoever they are. We're not really sure what every single thing in this means, but it's an amazing vision. And you see, this is where we get the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is These creatures are saying this to him all day long. It's this amazing thing. Well, that, that whole vision continues in chapter 5. 
And into that scene comes this lamb. And the lamb, of course, is Jesus, the lamb of God. And there's this really dramatic scene. We sing about that, about is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is, right? And in that scene, then suddenly it just gets bigger and bigger. All of those angels and all of those creatures are still praising God, but suddenly it says there's hundreds of thousands of more angels start joining in. And then there's people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation joining together and singing to the Lamb. Let's read this verse, Revelation 5, 9. This is part of the song that they sing. Not only is this who's singing, it's actually part of their song. Let's read this one line together. Your blood has transomed people. Let me try that again, transomed. What does that even mean? Let's try this one more time. Your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Another, another thing that human, recognizing the image of God in every human means. We don't have time to go deep into this one. We will in the future, I promise. But we just want to mention it, and there's a lot of scriptures on your bulletin insert about this one too. But we believe that every single person is made in the image of God from conception on. Every child is being made in God's, by God's hands in their mother's womb. There are so many passages that, that, that show that God has a destiny for all of us. And his destiny for all of us is to be ransomed, to be transformed, to be not only forgiven, but changed and remade in his image. And this goes for every single person, born or unborn. But how does Morrison Hill already reach out in ways like this? There's so many ways we do. I can barely scratch the surface, but I would like to uh, write this minute to highlight the benevolence ministry that we have. You might not realize that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, more than $14,000 every single year goes in that direction. Uh, usually a lot more than that. In fact, there's a special fund for special needs. And if you'd like to know more about that, you should talk to either Joni McKinney or Doit Hay. But this is what thousands of people experience, literally thousands, more than 4,000 in the last several years. They keep records. Thousands of people experience on an ongoing basis a warm greeting from June Machino, which answers the phone, takes some of their data. And then they get prayer and pre-conversation over the phone with Joni McKinney. And then they, if they get a personal appointment. They're actually walked through this whole process. They, they, we network the information with a bunch of other churches and organizations to make sure we weed out all the people that are trying to scam people and we make sure that we're meeting as many needs as possible. We're teaming up to pay the bills with other different groups. Uh, every single one of these people is treated with the dignity and the warmth and the respect that they deserve. Every single one of them. It doesn't matter why they got to where they are. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what their story is. It does. Their story matters. All those things matter. But it doesn't have anything to do with how we treat them. Because we know that every single one of them is being invited into the kingdom. Every single one of them is someone that we have been commanded to serve. And so we treat them with dignity and warmth and respect. Sometimes there's a loving confrontation. Sometimes there's an invitation to the church. A surprising amount of them claim that they're, they're always involved at some other church. And I, I suppose that's probably true. But we invite the ones who say that they aren't. There's always prayer with them. 
Sometimes we feed them. We have a food pantry ministry that's going on, and we, we also team up with all the other pa food pantries in town to make sure we're as efficient as possible. There's an ongoing evaluation of the whole system every year to make sure that we do. This is just one of the ministries that our church does on a regular basis to try and reach out into every place. Reach the people that don't show up here every Sunday morning. Reach the people that we don't already know well. And that's, that's, again, why we have to be intentional about diversity. It's the temptation is that all of us, just naturally, we just talk to the people we already know. Right? Or the people that live near us. And that's a wonderful thing. We've had a whole community, Grand Vista Bay recently, that they, they, their whole community, little by little, is coming to, into our, our, our church and they've got a small group going on. It's just incredible. That's a wonderful strategic thing, too. All I'm saying is that if we don't get intentional about reaching out, whether to our neighbors, to the people that serve us at Food City or Kroger, to the people that we just happen to see along the street or anyone else, if we're not intentional about sharing this gospel, we're only going to reach the people we've already reached. And that's not enough. So once again, let's look at this diagram and let's, let's walk through this. I wish I had time to walk through all of the other amazing ministries. If you look out, um, the, t just this week, so many people have teamed up to do so many things. It's just incredible. But th these are the big ideas that I really feel like we're doing, but God is calling us to do more than ever. Number one, he wants us to be strategically unified. What that means is that we are finding our unity in our passion, a shared passion to get the important things done. That our shared passion to be a community that is loving, that is outward focused, that is really, truly, totally sold out into all these things that Jesus has called us into being sold out to. These are, this, is, this is, we find our unity in that. And whether we disagree about different things along the way, this kind of becomes almost a non-issue because we all agree that Jesus said do this. And our question, our response is, how? Not should. We find unity in that. Multi-generational is another huge direction that we've been going for quite some time. This is a very strategic move. We've talked about it some, I'll talk about it again, but here's the bottom line. We, really, we understand that absolutely there are things that are unique about where teens are in their life, where children are. There will always be children's ministry and teen ministry. It's very important. There will always be marriage ministry. There will always be several different things where depending on where you are in life, you need specific things. But even more than that, look around you. This is a pretty diverse group and this is the way it's supposed to be. Your age doesn't matter as much as your willingness to be saved and be transformed by Jesus Christ. And, and the, this job goes to all of us that go and make disciples and all of that goes to every single one of us. And we find our best unity and our best effectiveness when we combine everybody, whether that's fellowship meal, whether that's a whole bunch of people from high school up to in their 70s working on taking down a playground and moving part of it to camp this week. Uh, depending on what it is, it, it, we find so much unity, so much joy, so much strength, so much renewed passion when we combine the generations and we combine the groups and we realize this is a really big, really functional team. And once again, focusing more than ever outward. Just realizing that Jesus always has had and always will have a worldwide vision. And this is what we have been called into. This is what the story 
that we are living out is, is a worldwide vision. This morning, I, I, we always to Christ. I, I just don't think it would be right for us not to, for us to go, hey, if, if God's got something on your heart this morning, good luck with that. We want to give you a chance to respond, but it can be anything. If you need to stay where you are and pray, that's okay. If you just want to sing this song and mean every word and that's your prayer, that's your response, that's wonderful. If you need to come forward to pray, go to the back. Someone will join you and pray. If you want to give your life to Christ or rededicate your life or place your membership in this church, any decision you have, you need to make it this morning. But what my big prayer is this. There's a little tiny prayer at the end of the bulletin answer. It's just a simple one. It says, Lord, I will. And if, some, if God is convicting you about anything about any of this this morning, that is all I ask you to pray. It's that thing you're telling me, God, I will do that. And that's what I invite you to do this morning.